Hey guys, welcome into another episode of From the Wing. I'm Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for the Times Picayune and NOLA.com. I'm enjoying this beautiful spring weather in New Orleans right now. What little of it we get. Joined today by my co-host Adam McCurry. Uh, not enjoying that weather. I can see it outside, but uh, you know, I'm just enjoying the weather inside of my wonderfully air-conditioned home. We also have a special guest on today's show. He's the founder of the Pelicans Report on Instagram, a social media specialist for ESPN, and social programmer for Boot Crew Media. He creates daily content on the Pelicans and LSU for Boot Crew Media and all sports on ESPN social platforms. Jake Hardy, how are you doing today, Jake? What's going on, guys? Appreciate y'all for having me. A content king <laughs> in South Louisiana, man. I, I've discovered who you were from your Pelicans Report page. I moved here four years ago, started following it on Instagram, and I guess was just impressed by the quality of the posts. You've amassed a large following there. You've got uh, almost 45,000 followers when, when I checked this morning. Um, I guess just starting off, when did you start this? Why did you start it? Why do you think it's worked? Tell me about it. So, yeah, man, I started the account back in 2014. I was actually 13 years old at the time. Um, You're 13? Anybody, yeah, 13 years old. So You know what I was doing when I was 13? Not that. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, so um, it's crazy, man. Like, when I started the account, anybody who followed since the beginning knows – um, I didn't, didn't have any expectations for it. Just started the account to kind of share my passion with the rest of the fan base. I noticed there was a niche open on the platform. Um, and like you said, it's almost at 50 K now. It's been, it's been insane to see the growth, man. Um, you know, starting out about eighties, Started out the year AD made his first playoffs in 2014, 2015, kind of seeing it grow just a little bit um, into the first playoff run, seeing the game three collapse, which was probably the most engaging post of that season, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, and man, it's just been awesome seeing the different messages, you know, that I get every other day, um, you know, such a large following from Australia, New Zealand, you know, they'll say, man, we have limited coverage in our countries and, you know, we appreciate everything that you do. You kind of help us keep up with everything Pelicans. Um, you know, I struggle with, with my mental health, which I don't know how the Pelicans help you with that, <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, the, your coverage, you know, helps me get through my days sometimes. My like, coverage? Wow, I think yeah, I did yeah. the opposite, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, kind of just seeing those messages, it's been rewarding um, to see, you know, different people appreciate what I do, all the hard work that goes into it. Um and yeah, man, it's kind of just helped me lead to where I am today. Um, I have a lot of different people. It's insane. I don't show my face too often on the account, but I'll have like last year I went, I went go coverage. I went go uh, cover the playing game 
for ESPN uh, last year. And I had a, a five, five guys from LSU, you know, yelling, the Pelicans report, the Pelicans report while I'm, I'm filming on the baseline. I'm just like, how the hell do they know who I am? But, hey, man, it was, it was just rewarding to, to see, you know, <laughs> those guys kind of follow my story. Um, That's those weirdos. That's yeah. those weirdos like me. Uh, I, whenever there's like a faceless content account, Right. The one time you show your face, I'm screenshotting that thing and I'm saving right. it in that phone because that's the thing I'm always trying to figure out. It's like, who runs this? Yeah, who, exactly. Who, who's doing all this? So, exactly. question. So, you you say you started when you're when you're 13, and right. now like we're talking about covering playing games, like, and it's become like your day to day job, and you have multiple multiple streams of that. What? At what right. point did you realize, like starting it that young, at what point did you realize that this was like a job? Like this could be something that you just kept doing. This could be your lane. Right. So I would say, you know, when when members of the organization started following, um, different people started reaching out, you know, high level people within the organization, sending messages like, hey, appreciate what you do, you know, amplifying everything that their organization does in a positive positive way which is which is kind of like my specialty in a sense that you know it's it's a hard line to straddle for sure um between constructive criticism and maintaining those relationships within the organization but then again, man, like people can sniff out when you are being genuine um, with your opinions and stuff like that. Christian knows this. I mean, <laughs> traditional media, you know, it's kind of being phased out. But that's why I have so much respect for what you do. You know, you you put out what the people need to hear. And I've always respected that about the work that you do. You know, you don't. You don't care about the backlash that's going to come, the quote tweets, et cetera. It's what people need to hear. Um, so but, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What makes someone a good poster? What are the qualities or characteristics of a, a successful poster? Right. So um, there's different, there's different, um, there's different niches, right? So anybody that asks me, you know, where do I start? I want to get into media. So I say, you know, build out your personal brand brand by picking your lane. So you'll have the analytics guys, you'll have the social media, you'll have the graphic designers, you'll have people that collect a lot of data, you'll have the, the journalism, you'll have people who post throwbacks and a lot of different things. Um, so I'll say pick your lane, man. Um, and there's a lot of different niches that you can get into, but choose your lane and stick with it. So for me, it was social media, um, always, you know, interacting, building your, building out your fan base. So follow, follow the niches, follow the trends and then find the gaps. Because that's that's what it's going to take to truly separate yourself from the rest of, you know, the media, the media world. So 
I would say for anybody starting out, you know, choose that lane, choose what you're good at, follow the trends to, you know, get established and then find the gaps within the industry. You know, once you're somewhat established to truly separate yourself. But um, something really interesting within the last couple of years, you know, media consumption is a lot you know, geared towards social media, you know, without releasing the internal, the internal data from ESPN. I'm sure you guys seen everything, all the, all the records that this women's, um, the women's March Madness set for this year. And a very large chunk of that was, you know, these guys saw everything from social media, such a large presence, Caitlin Clark, um, Angel Reese, Flaugier Johnson, you know, that's where people are seeing it. And that's, that's what truly like media consumption has changed from traditional, traditional media towards seeing everything on social media and, um, really and truly the algorithms are constantly evolving. So look no further than the short form content, right? So it used to be you'd watch 10 minute videos on YouTube, you know, three minute videos on Instagram. And now it's more geared towards short form content. You look at TikTok, perfect example. And then so Instagram kind of took what TikTok's been doing. And they made reels into 60 second or less um, videos. And now you look at YouTube, YouTube shorts, and that's how a lot of the media consumption is nowadays. Um, you know, if you look at the, the demographics, the Gen Z, those guys don't want to watch 10 minute videos, right? You're looking at anything from 10 to 30 seconds. That's, that's really what that's really what a lot of people are leaning into. And I think it's smart considering, um, considering where, where the demographic is today. I think it's, uh, that's kind of my, like my constant battle is, uh, is, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. So everybody that's right. consuming the content, like the population that's growing, consuming this stuff is younger than me. And right. I still want the long form piece that tells me about the guy's entire life and the three minute video or even like a half hour. Like I, I'm a huge podcast listener. Uh, I'm a big documentary guy. So like I, I, I struggle with it, but I totally see what you're saying. Like I, there's it's inescapable how how clear like the popularity is shifting and just the general human attention span. You know, I'm I'm. I may be in my mid thirties. It's not like I haven't, you know, done the, the climb into bed and do the TikTok death spiral where you, you look at your phone for a little bit. And next thing you know, 30 minutes has gone by and you didn't even realize you did it. And it all started with like a dolphin laughing like a human. And next thing you know, it's 30 minutes is gone and you're not asleep yet. It's uh the algorithms are scary, man. Like it's, right. it's they're, they're placing content in front of you at a, in a, uh, in a manner that like we didn't deal with before right like 
we were self-selecting more often than not. We still feel like we are, but it's all been gamified to the to the degree where you're self-selecting from our menu of items that we have put directly in front of your face. And and one of the things I think I've seen, and I'd be curious about your perspective on this, Jake, is I feel like younger people are more so following and keeping up with these leagues almost exclusively by social media content rather than consuming the core product, which is the games in a lot of times. Like I feel like there there might be, you know, like a lot of people, I don't know, 15 through 22 who feel like they're educated about the NBA and I can't say they aren't who just follow this stuff on, on Twitter mostly, but you know, don't sit down and like watch the games for two and a half hours, you know, like 50 times a year or whatever. Like, do you, do you sense that at all that like people are following this stuff exclusively through social media, younger folks? Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, a lot of NBA fans nowadays, they'll, they'll check the score once click on the last five minutes of the game and, you know, call themselves a Lakers fan, a Warriors fan, whatever it may be. But yeah. I'm so proud of you for saying those two team names. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I see it firsthand, man, between the the social numbers and the live Twitter updates, like y'all are saying, um, there's just, it's just really changed the dynamic of how people consume content. And, you know, for me on personally on the Pelicans report account, I still value, you know, the 30 plus demographic and the people that got here from Charlotte and the people that got here, you know, in 2002, when the team moved here, um, you know, I feel a great. Are you alive then? (laughs) 2001. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I, I value, I value creating a synergy between, you know, that generation and the generation now. And, you know, there's different ways you can connect that, you know, through a lot of throwback posts. Um, You know, when Iverson killed us in the first round, when D-Wade killed us in the first round, you know, when Magic, when the Lakers (laughs) over, bleep that out, but... um, (laughs) We'll bleep it, we'll bleep it. Yeah, so... (laughs) Yeah, so when the Lakers kind of... Yeah, so when I don't know if you guys read up on this, but when we traded, when we signed Gail Goodrich in free agency, I think it was 1976, the league had kind of forced the New Orleans Jazz to compensate the Lakers for three, it was three first round picks. And the 1979 first round pick, we had the worst record in the league. And that number one pick turned out to be Magic Johnson. So, wow. But, <laughs> but we did move the following season, but who knows if, if the, hype, the hype reaches a certain level. Maybe we stay in New Orleans. Who knows? And it's been an interesting history with Pelicans and number one picks and potential number one picks, but uh, we'll go down that road. Um, I wanted to ask you this. What has been the most engaged post in the history of the Pelicans report? Oh, Wow. Um, I tell you what, um, DeMarcus Cousins actually followed the account back in 2018. And I think it was Carmelo was a free agent or something along those lines. And somebody had did a jersey swap for me. So I had reposted it. 
Both of them were in Pelican jerseys. And DeMarcus Cousins, I don't remember what the caption was. I think it was mellow to the big easy question mark. And DeMarcus Cousins had had um, commented an eye emoji. I think it had had close to 100,000 likes. And so it kind of circulated around Twitter so much that the next day on first take, that post is, is, is featured on uh, first take. And you can imagine, you know, the adrenaline rush that I had seeing that post probably as a 17-year-old uh, high school junior. <laughs> it was crazy. And then we gained about 500 followers just from that one post. Um, so what do you do? In, so that happens. So that shows up on ESPN, right? That shows up right. in like the daily sports trough where people are throwing crap at each other and that pops up and everybody's like, what? You say you don't show your face in the account. Like, are you sitting there as a 17 year old, like in your high school class, like telling everybody in there at least like that's mine. Does everybody know? Are you like itching to put your face on the account? Because like, yeah, I did that. Yeah. So nah, man, I mean, maybe a select one or two friends knew that I ran the account. It was just kind of like a low key type of deal. And, you know, I didn't really tell anybody that I ran the account until after high school. And, you know, I'd, I'd be in. He was posting during class. That's what right, it was. Right, right. He was yeah. posting during class. He couldn't tell anybody. Couldn't right. let it out. Well, well, yeah, man, I would actually do like these different depth charts, these different um, free agent targets. And, you know, when the school systems implemented, I think it was like a, a camera where they can see the, the entire class's laptops, you know, what they're on. The teachers would be like, who's on ESPN and the whole class would turn to me. Cause they knew, man, I was just the, the biggest sports nerd. And then teacher would come up to me, see the paper. And it'd be like point guard, Drew Holly, what he needs to improve on shooting guard, best free agents. Be like, what the hell is this? I'm just be like, you don't, you don't understand. I'm not even going to bother explaining it to you. <laughs> A different, a different time in the world. You talk about starting it at 13, and I'm sitting here thinking about, like, where was I when I was 13? Oh, I was in, like, eighth grade, and I, had, I didn't have a cell phone yet. And then the first cell phone that I get is a little Nokia brick. I remember being excited that it had, like, six colors. <laughs> and it was like, that was a big win. And then, then the Motorola Razor comes out, and that was my first, like, high-tech phone. But like that's the level of technology we were dealing with. Like my senior year was was the first time I ever got a MacBook. We didn't have like laptops all around in school and stuff like that. So these are these are first world problems over here. This stuff you monitoring what what websites you're on. But I can tell you, right? If we had them, I'd have been in deep because I'd have, I'd have been in all the same places. Hundred percent. So Jake, yeah. you're, you're you're posting for Boot Crew. Um, the Pelicans report is under that umbrella. You also do some work for ESPN. Um, it's the the Sports Center property, right? You do social right. media for Sports Center. So Sports Center Instagram and ESPN TikTok. That's insane, man. That's that's insane. I mean, you you talked about you know mental health a little bit earlier. Like, what is? I guess do you feel like that pressure to just deliver good content consistently? And like, what is that challenge like of? 
you know, I got to have like five really good posts tonight. Right. hundred percent. I mean, even from the, the Pelicans report perspective, you know, these different people from different countries that are, you know, depending on you every single day for content, it, it's definitely, you know, you always feel trying to think of the word, but you always feel like there's something going on. Right. So personally for me, the struggle is, you know, relaxing. Like I've never been able to feel, I'd say since 2017, just the ability to relax, just as crazy as this sounds, but you always feel like there's something you're, you're going to miss something that's going on um, that you need to, to post on or report about. Um, and for ESPN perspective, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of different pressures. So I'll take you through a midnight shift for me. I'll have two two of the top games pulled up on two laptops, right? So, for example, there was the World Series going on and the LSU Alabama game going on, and I was the only one on shift at the time. And I'll have another uh, tab pulled up with, you know, obviously I can't see everything, but there's other NBA games going on. There's other college football games going on while the World Series and this LSU and Alabama game are it's getting down to the line, getting down to the wire. So obviously I can't watch anything. So I have a Twitter account that I personalize for social, you know, between UFC NFL, NBA, to essentially watch the games that I can't. And if, if something will pop up on there, I'll just hurry and, and switch the games, switch the games where I need to cut a highlight. And, you know, I have Photoshop pulled up to make on-the-fly designs, um, Premiere for video editing, and then uh, Slack. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that for like back reading to make sure there's no punctual mistakes that I make in there. Because if you do make a mistake, that's the real pressure is speed to market and then making sure you don't make a mistake. Um, you beat me to my question. Now, I was going to say, what do you think is the most, is the most important thing that the post is correct or that it gets out right after that thing happened when most of the world has just seen it or just started talking about it? Right. So that's that's the struggle that we deal with daily is, you know, if if somebody from Turner gets out a post before us, that significantly hurts our numbers on the platform. So really and truly, I, it, it just depends on the platform that you're posting on. It's Twitter, Twitter will will get on you right away for any mistakes that you make. But of course, they Instagram, will. <laughs> oh, you would know about it firsthand, but um, yeah, I mean, TikTok is definitely more Gen Z if you look at the demographics, so they're a lot more forgiving. You'll have a few comments, but no big deal if, if it's a massive mistake. Um, then, you know, you'll get a little backlash, but if it's a small grammar mistake, you know, it's more important to get it out quickly on that platform. And Instagram, we make sure the cover image is good. But in terms of the caption, you can 
edit it at any point. So it's really important that speed to market is a priority for that platform, definitely. But those those uh, live window shifts definitely they get a little stressful. I'm picturing you like a uh, I'm picturing you like a, a a digital editing version of Shams Taranya where he's he's got both phones going so that as right. soon as that trade drops he's ready to fire it off and he's sitting like in the crowd like I I love it when I go to a Pelicans game and it's like a big cable game and it's around the deadline and you see like Shams is sitting in the section next to you I, he's always sits in the same spot and then or you see him walk in through the ramp. And like Griff comes down and like talks to him for a second or something and walks back up. But I like I'm imagining you with your multiple laptops instead of your multiple phones, just like waiting for that thing and trying to jump on it. And so that brings me like a a, a popular topic with with guys like that. Like, do you feel like you like lose sleep? Like you talked about struggling to relax. Like, what is the what is the way to like recover? Like you do a night shift, you have three or four games on. You're racing, trying to get these clips out, trying to get stuff put together and get out on these accounts. Like, do you need to like wind down after? Are you like a whiskey guy? I'm notably, I'm a whiskey guy. Uh, like, what do you do to like recover? Or can you just like hit hit the bed and just knock out when you're done with this? Yeah. So for me, basketball has actually, you know, as much as I get burnt out posting about it. Um, Basketball has kind of been the outlet for me. You know, I've played it for over 15 years. I coached high school last year. Um, I've refereed. I've, I've just been around the game for so long. It, it kind of brings – it's kind of an outlet for me. Christian knows because I've been bothering him about playing for the last three months or so. But um, <laughs> And we've that, played. We've played. Yeah, we're playing right. uh, in a little league right really close to where I live. It's been good. It's uh, I've got a lot of room for improvement. I'll, we'll just put it that way. Yeah, we've heard what kind of player you are. We we hear the guys that you're a fan of in the league. It's not a not a shock that you have improvement areas. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You want to put hey, it like that? Hey. I'll, I'll stuff you in a hey, locker, I, brother, if you want to play. I don't, I don't have any improvement areas okay. because I don't, I'm not good at basketball at all. So yeah, I, yeah. I can't improve something that's, that doesn't even have a starting point. <laughs> If you want to play hockey anytime, basketball is a weird one for me. Like most of the guys that are involved in this stuff, like grew up in basketball. Basketball was the one sport that my family did not have me playing as a child to the point where I ended up playing ice hockey in the state of Louisiana instead of playing basketball. I played baseball, soccer, football, everything. And yet after all that, here I am, you know, the uh, the guy who's only here because I overwhelmingly consume basketball. So I, uh, I I'm just taking a shot at Christian because he likes guys like Dylan Brooks and Pat Beverly and stuff. And you know, I just I, sorry, I gotta, I'm not sorry. I get the jabs like, I'm in. not even. You know what? Dylan Brooks did a lot of stupid stuff. I can't defend anything he did in the playoffs. But sorry, I'm not sorry. All right, I, I like guys with an edge. I, I do. I'm sorry. Look, I'm not. I'm not against Jimmy Butler because he's like actually good and that guy. Like let's let's get more of those dudes. Let's let's, let's okay. get more of those grinders. Let's let's talk about the Pelicans. Um, we're gonna get into some specific stuff, but I'm just gonna start broadly. Jake, you've you've followed this franchise closely since 2014. Like I think the way it ended this year was very frustrating. But just looking at that tenure period, 
where is this franchise now compared to when you started posting about the team? Yeah, so I know you guys have briefly mentioned it for a while, but I think it's come a long way in terms of the, the ownership, um, you know, investments, million-dollar investments in the medical staff. You know, Trajan wasn't cheap by any means. Um, you know, the new practice facility, things along those lines. You know, we, were, we went from Dell Demps essentially – asking random podcasters to get credentialed to freelancers left and right on Twitter that, you know, you can't even keep up with. I was, the, I was not aware of this. He Del Dumps was reaching out to ask people to come in and get credentialed, be around the team. Correct. Correct. So, wow. yeah. So we went from that um, signing over probably seven or eight, 10, 10, 10 day, 10 day contracts a year in the Anthony Davis early days of the Anthony Davis era. Um, I was begging for Pierre Jackson to come over. I, I was, he was, he was dropping 50 in the D league. I'm like, come on, what right. are we waiting for here? Right. And uh, Dante Cunningham was supposedly our savior. He was the legend. He was the yeah. key corner three, corner three for one season. <laughs> corner three for one season legend but yeah man i mean our our wings solomon hill and dante cunningham were our best wings for multiple years you know we haven't if, if you look at the franchise's history we had jamal mashburn we had trevor Ariza, and then after that there was about a we throw mo pete in there we can throw Mopete yeah, in there. Peja yeah. was Peja was kind Peja, of a forward, Peja, but yeah, Peja too. But he's I mean, probably the Peja. best one in history prior to these guys. Honestly, I think a meme that we all appreciate, all three of us, is the take five starting lineup, right? Like Absolutely. we all know what we're talking about where it's we're the take it five oil change starting lineup, where it's like, oh my god, um, like whenever, whenever I, you know, am like, am like, am I going too hard on the team right now for not living up to expectations? and I need some perspective, I just go in my memes folder and I look at the take five minutes oil change starting five and I'm like, okay, they have, there's a long ways to go, but this has gotten a lot better, it seems like. Oh, yeah. Alonzo G just hits different. <laughs> Man, there's, there's about, <laughs> there's about, you know, a list of 25 10-day contract guys who, Maybe eight of them you could have sworn would have been multi-year keepers, but you know that's that's the perspective that we have now. You know, you're looking at guys. You're turning your nose up at like Najee Marshalls at times, but if you not look not back, in this space, we're not right. <laughs> well, if you, if you look back about a decade, you know we were begging for guys like Jordan Hamilton to to get signed to 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 multi-year contracts and that's just and freaking instant grits instant grits <laughs> was supposed to be our six man our six man of the year candidate <laughs> and that's how that's interesting perspective from back then to where we are now it's just insane to but you know part of it too is, is the talent evolution in the nba so much, so much resources and player development, 
even just the increase in, in coaches, it's it's crazy to look at. <laughs> it's okay to say we were trash. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. It's we can say it. We can we can all say it. We can all admit that we were trash. We had uh, you know a couple of good players. We were horrific on the fringes. Uh, you know, debate. We could debate for a long time the reasons why. Some of it is you know the inability to go out and get a free agent because who the hell wants to come here? Um, and then it's like engineering trades, taking swings on guys that don't make any sense, like James Posey, for instance, like. Yep. Part of the part of the Boston Celtics championship team, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna grab one of those big pieces. That's he's one of those role players gonna come teach us how to win, and then it just doesn't just doesn't go that way. And that's like all it was over and over again. Got the Dickow season in there, you know. It's it's like a, the watermarks of uh, if you if you cut open a Pelican fan like the rings of an old tree, you you can see like the Dan Dickow mark in there. Like we we've, we've gone through some stuff. You guys, what a terrible metaphor for all of this these last 10 years. I feel like Pelicans fans from 2012 to like 2018 were hunter gatherers for their food, right? They were just out there, you know, like scrounging for berries and eating some mushrooms and hoping they didn't get poisoned. And then in 2019, they learned agriculture and seeds were planted <laughs> and shoots are shooting up. And, oh, I think it's going to be a pretty good crop. It's still a little bit early to tell. It hasn't yielded a great crop yet, but I think there's going to be a pretty good crop, and it feels like a better way to live now. So we might be entering the Bronze Age is what you're saying. Like We, we, we could <laughs> potentially be entering the Bronze Age. This is reminding me of the game Age of Empires. It's hitting my childhood right in, right in the chest. We're about to get fat on sweet corn is what I'm saying. <laughs> What do, what do I think, you think about I feel that like metaphor, I feel Jake? like Jake hates I feel like Jake hates that metaphor. Yeah. Please tear that metaphor to pieces. Give us a better one. I'll be honest. You lost me. You lost me about halfway okay. halfway <laughs> through that one. My God, Jake! All Terrible right. metaphor. Hey, he he did warn us. He did say it was going to be bad, and then appropriately delivered a bad metaphor. All Makes right. sense. Let's let's zoom in, Jake. What is what needs to change for this team to win fifty games next year? Well, I think it's, I think if you look at the numbers, um, 23rd in, in three-pointers made this year, 29th in three-pointers attempted. You know, the percentage wasn't bad. We still shot 36% from deep, which is about 14th. But definitely you need some more shooting. Um, even Griff mentioned it in his, his exit presser. You know, we need a little more shot creation to survive the stretches where B.I., Zion, or C.J. misses time. Um, you know, we were the worst worst team in terms of defending the rim. Team shot 68.5%, less than five feet away from the rim. And, you know, I know you guys have mentioned it. J.V. is a rim deterrent, but once teams get there, they, it's – it's essentially a guarantee that they're yeah. <laughs> they're finishing at the rim. So I definitely think those are some areas in terms of the team. But from an organizational standpoint, I think you have to do a deep dive into the medical staff, you know, their preventative care and their rehab approach. You know, it, it takes two to tango and I don't want to place 
I don't want to place the blame on either either party. I think, you know, there's probably some better approaches that the medical staff can take where Zion is more receptive um, to what they want to do. But, I mean, let's not forget, he did go through an eight-week program in the offseason where he would do two-a-day two workouts and – he had a specific nutrition plan. He woke up for 5 a.m. workouts, went back for 7 p.m. workouts in Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale. But as soon as the season came, you know, like Stan Van Gundy said, you know, playing gets him in shape. But once he goes out, you got to take it upon yourself. And that's that's kind of been an issue frequently when when we've seen him go out. As soon as he comes back, there's about a a whole month period where he needs to to reacclimate himself, get back in shape. And it, it's been a struggle for him to maintain where he needs to be. So, but if you kind of read into that story that Will Will Guillory did this summer. It was the family that reached out to, I think it was Jasper Bibbs in regards to that eight-week program. And I think that's that's kind of just an issue that we see frequently with Zion. Like, we would love to see him take it upon himself. You know, look at what Trey did this summer. Went work out with CJ at uh, Brickley's gym. You know... I would love to see Zion, you know, step out from his inner circle and, you know, work with other point guards, work with other, work with other bigs. You know, don't be afraid. Uh, this is a thing I've hit on a, a little bit where I was like, you know, in, in a couple of episodes, I'm like, if, if there's anything that I could give, like we've, we've obviously talked a lot about, you know, how the staff has approached him, how he's approached taking care of himself in the off season and during the season. And I think the, the thing that I'm dying for as a fan is like, you do see all those Brickley's posts. You do see guys, you hear every off season, somebody worked with Hakeem Olajuwon on a, on a hook and some handles, some big, it got tips from Hakeem. Like it's, it's been somebody every off season. You heard about Jason Tatum practicing with Kobe before he came into the league. Like there are, there are guys who take it upon themselves to like go find the guy who's like me, who I see like me and ask him for help. And you don't even see Zion practicing with his own teammates in the summer. You don't see any of that stuff. And like, I think as much as we know or don't know, the one thing that would certainly make me feel a lot better was just if I started seeing some people I recognize. Yeah. It seems, it seems very siloed. I think there are legit questions about, you know, do you have the best inner circle possible around you? I think there's some legitimate questions. Just getting the best people around you and, you know, being communicative and connected to teammates during the offseason, I think is an important one. And it's like, I would, I have to just encourage him, like, lean on the great veterans who are on this team. Like, talk to CJ McCollum, talk to Garrett Temple. Like, there's so many, you know, like wise guys on this team who, have had long careers and I like Garrett Temple and Larry both said, they're like, look, I can't relate to him. Like nobody on this team has had the life experience he has had 
and they recognize that. And that is an understandable point. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like you can still go to those guys. Like they get it to some degree and they certainly know how to take care of their bodies. I, I just feel like he could lean on them a little bit more maybe. Yeah, 100%. And I think also, you know, even Griff alluded to it in his exit presser. I think there's an accountability problem at the core. You know. He said it a bunch of times throughout the year. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, Willie. I go back to this example. You guys remember when. I think it was towards the latter half of the season, one of the last 10 games. Willie gets up and absolutely just absolutely heated before normally you see coaches wait, you know, outside of outside of the huddle, wait till they sit down to, to kind of get into the players. Willie gets on the floor and absolutely gets into JV. And it was just like why doesn't he hold everybody to the same standard? It's just, I feel like at times, you know, he gives B.I. And, and C.J. a little bit too much freedom offensively. And there's a big difference where we're pushing the pace. We're getting the ball over half court with 20 seconds left over the, on the shot clock and zipping the ball. You know, his signature, signature saying 0.5 basketball. You know, versus the, the the dribble handoff, the hunting mismatches, which leads to to the stagnant offense. But I would say that that style has it not only takes a toll like on our stars, but it's a lot more difficult for the role players to make plays and feel comfortable shooting the ball. And generally, when they touch it less, they're less motivated to play defense. I mean, look no further than when JV JV was was more involved in, in in the last ten games or so. He was a lot more motivated to hit the boards. I don't. Are know you talking I, about the Valanciunas Sant from Game <laughs> Seventy on? Correct. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, we're Bronze Age and now Valanciunas. God <laughs> damn it! Uh, look, I get Jake. I get what you're saying. Like the the. I think with Willie, especially like there, there are two chew outs this season that, that stick out for me and it's Trey and JV and both times he walked out on the court prior to the huddle, grabbed the guy and the camera got on him and you could see that he was pissed. I think clearly like everything with defense irritates him more because so much of defense is effort and being in the right place that it seems like everything, a lot of his decisions seem driven more by defense. Like his matchup seems seem to dr- defensively driven. Everything does. And if you look at where we land defensively, like to some degree, focusing on that landed us at what? I think we finished sixth or something like that in, in defense for the season. Yep. So I kind of get it there. Um, I think the, the accountability thing we've heard for, you know, for how many years from all sorts of, different sources in college football, in basketball, in pro football, in every sport, every high power sport, stars don't get held to the same standard as everybody else. Like, because they're stars, we hear Kawhi Leonard and Paul George just kind of decide when the team plane leaves. Like we've heard that one a bunch of times. We've heard Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, like 
throwing off the Nets schedules by like and kind of me- making their own schedule, showing up kind of when they when they feel accustomed. I think we've heard that forever. Like going back into the 70s and 80s, I think stars just do get handled differently than other guys. I think there's there is a shorter leash for guys that have that limited upside that you don't have 30 million dollars into. Um, and you can lose those guys like stars check out on you. If you, if you roast them, especially in front of the other guys, you know, Bill Belichick and Greg Popovich have been about the only guys in the two most popular, these, you know, basketball and football, those two teams are hyper successful because they managed to get the star on board with getting reamed in front of people. And, and, it's the, and the stars were willing to do that. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. I would say they're driving it like it's coming from them, you know, right. and I think I think that is part of the thing here. It's like, you know, it's got to come from Zion and Brandon. I just think there are steps in terms of of like leadership and accountability and just great habits um, and other things that they can improve. I mean, incredible talents, both of them, incredible talents. I just think like if they ever figure that part out of like, no, I'm going to take it on me. And like it starts with me then like this team really can do special things. So Jake, we talk about the off season. I think the clearest thing we've, we've talked about this a handful of episodes, the clearest improvement and potential area for like a move soon is the center position. Like we just alluded to JV. I think regardless of what you saw this year, you, you, you can see JV in the center spot as a place to improve. Um, and we talked about like rim deterrence versus actual rim defense. Who are like your, do you have like a short list in your mind? Like who are your guys going into the summer, going into even like the deadline next year, who are like your center targets for the team? Yeah. So in terms of the, the mid-level exception, I think you look at guys like Mason Plumley, Nas Reed, you know, maybe Kevin Love, but I see him more as a, as a four um, and possibly Thomas Bryant. But, you know, the only, the only two that are actually viable starting centers, in my opinion, is, is Mason Plumley and Nas Reed. Um, but from a, from a trade perspective, I think you got to look at, at Wendell Carter Jr., especially if, if the Magic. Like that one. Get yeah. Wemby. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let the Magic get Wemby. He's coming All down right. my lane. Yeah. Or if um, you know, if the Hornets, the Hornets end up winning the lottery, I think you have to look at Mark Williams and see, you know, how willing Charlotte is to deal him. Um, people aren't gonna like this, but Zach Collins actually had a really good stretch towards the end of last season. Don't know if he's is going to be healthy. Yeah, that or at least <laughs> the best defensive option, but can definitely stretch the floor. Solid team defender, not individual. Um, you got to look at P.J. Washington, Isaiah Stewart, especially after Detroit got um, James Wiseman at the deadline. Even Maxi Cleaver, which don't know how that will work out with our medical staff. John Collins, Miles Turner, Daniel Gafford, you know. I would I would just laugh so hard after all this time, after years of going round and around, if the Miles Turner thing happened. Comes through. And I, I wouldn't hate it. 
I, like, I think Miles Turner legitimately got better as a player last year. Um, I wouldn't hate it by any means. It would just be funny. It's like we did this dance for four years and it finally happened. Yeah. So- I think if I, <laughs> if I ranked them in my head, like it's, and this is by like by trade or any means, like the two best fits to me are miles and Wendell miles and Wendell are both like the age. They are what they actually do around the rim, what they are capable of doing as a shooter and like as a shot blocker, they're they're that guy that stirs the drink for this specific team. If you can get them, if they become available, I'm with you too on the the Hornets thing. Like that's my my like third option. It's kind of like where does Wemby land? Hopefully, in Charlotte or Orlando, because then maybe we've got options. And I mean, I'd even go back and kick the tires on Nick Richards. Honestly, like yeah. there's a lot of stuff in Charlotte that's intriguing to me. But I think I think Miles and Wendell kind of jump off the page as guys that fit. Um, and would be interesting. And then, yeah, I think it gets interesting. I think that I'm rooting for Charlotte and Orlando to, to win the Wemby sweepstakes in ways that I did not expect. For sure. And I think in terms of what Willie values, it's impossible to find a big that can stretch the floor and can vertically run the floor and also protect the rim. But if you look at Larry – He's more of a vertical spacer and can switch. And I think those are the two biggest traits that Willie values, right? And if you look at guys that don't play well next to Zion, look no further than the plotting centers that we've had, Derek Favors, Steven Adams. And so I think if you get I think if you get somebody like PJ Washington or somebody that can stretch the floor like Miles Turner, or even a guy that I like, Isaiah Jackson, I think would be a sleeper target if you can cobble a second solid center with him. As a guy that can run the floor, a guy that can semi-switch onto guys in the perimeter, or at least you know choke guards up at the level. Um, As a fantasy basketball player, I am uh, I'm I'm very in on Isaiah Jackson as fantasy basketball shot blocker. I worry a little bit about him being on that Pacers team and struggling to carve out a role. Um, You know, I'd 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 feel like I would have liked to see like with Carlisle over there, like to see him earn some consistent minutes. And he kind of couldn't do that. Part of that's because Turner was was great and was healthy. Um but yeah, Isaiah Jackson guy. If you play, if anybody who plays fantasy basketball, you know who Isaiah Jackson is because that's a waiver guy right there. Grab him, get you two blocks. Plays like ten minutes, get you two blocks, get you six or seven rebounds. What yeah. do you think about? So the of the guys we just talked about, a lot of the guys that fit the profile do look like they will like damage your rebounding a little bit, right? Like you're gonna get yeah. the you're gonna get the defense, you get the spacing, but like you said, you can't have it all. And all the guys we talked about, the P.J. Washingtons, the Wendells, everybody, they don't average double-digit rebounds. Even Miles Turner, for as athletic as he is and as huge as he is, part of what you sacrifice in him being you know, a big-time help guy and a guy that goes out to the perimeter is you, you lose some rebounding. Um, do you fear any of those guys specifically? Do you feel like the, the, the ask for rebounding, because it's something we already struggle with, do you feel like that – we can't afford to lose that or is now the assignment very clear where you add one of those guys, you're a team rebounding team. Like 
your wings, your guards, everybody's got to make it out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you're gonna you're gonna have a trade off between a skill set at some point. I think Dyson has already shown he's a great rebounder, and his minutes are gonna see an uptick next year. I think it kind of like Josh Hart showed it's it's more of the will to pursue the basketball more than it is an actual skill to a degree. So I think, yeah, like you said, it's, it's going to take, it's going to take multiple efforts for the, the guards to crash for the wings to crash. Um, if there's going to be a trade-off there from a guy like Washington or, or Turner, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to see those other guys pitch in a little more. And I think, Herb, too, a lot of criticism comes at Herb for, for his rebounding numbers. But when he's always defending at the point of attack, I mean, it's kind of difficult to for him to get, you know, seven or eight rebounds a game when he's constantly defending on the perimeter. So I think it I think it's gonna take, you know, the guards and the wings to all collectively be a little better in that area but for sure it's a it's a concern if we were to end up making a splash for one of those one of those slender guys that you know are more switchy type than interior bigs do you have a do you have a favorite pelicans player you just personally like to watch the most uh I'm kind of like you in the sense that I like guys that, that do the dirty work. Um, so personally for me, it's, it's Herb Jones. I just like, you know, his instincts, of cutting off the ball, defending on the ball. Just everything about him. If there's a, if there's a loose ball, you can guarantee Herb Jones is going to be the first one on it. So I like guys like that. Um, but I need me some Jose. Yeah, that's, Ho- that's, Jose. Too. I need I need Jose back so bad. That's yeah. if, if there's anything that hurt my heart. Thank God Herb got his three point shot back. Because if there's anything that hurt my heart last year, it was not getting Jose down the stretch when things do start correcting, and you feel like like that dude can get you into ten plays where your offense is going to run correctly and guys are going to be put into advantageous places and. You just didn't have that option. You didn't have that that guy running dudes down full court. And, uh, you know, that's that's the one that's, uh, you know, I got to see him back out there. I got to yeah. I got to have him back. It's it's it still hurts right now. And there's there's no season for us. anymore. Yeah, I think what, what doesn't get talked about with Jose enough is him just simply getting the ball over the half court line with 20 seconds, about 20 seconds left on the shot clock. That gives so much more time your offense to operate and then on the opposing end those guys are getting the ball around half court at about 17 seconds so that makes your half court defense so much put so much less pressure i would i would say that was an under discussed problem with the pelicans this year was just they just didn't get into sets with pace a lot of the time i think like you know the word willie uses constantly is force and i just don't think there was enough of that consistently throughout the season you know, especially after Zion went down, like he just didn't get into the stuff early. It, it seemed like um, that that does create advantages for you. For sure. 
Jake, you are a posting legend, man. Uh, 13 years old. You built this thing into a monster over a decade. Uh, appreciate you having you coming on to the show, man. Um, I, I think we talked about it at the top, but where's the best places for people to find your work? Yeah, so um, the Pelicans report on Instagram and um, Pelicans by Jake on Twitter. Um, and, you know, I'm sure most people already follow him, but <laughs> Sports Center Instagram or ESPN TikTok. What a plug. Catch them on the night shift. Yeah. Get them no little up. thing called ESPN the Sports Center Instagram. <laughs> Love that. Um, yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, appreciate you guys for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate y'all for having me.